Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Johannesburg is Dr. Leila Faree, who is the CEO of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Welcome to the show. Hi, Amelia. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me. It's it's absolutely lovely to chat to you and to the listeners. To begin with, your career seems to have taken you right across the globe. You've occupied various positions within the banking sector, Standard Bank, Africa's largest bank, as well as the JSE. You also served as executive responsible for consumer finance at Australia's largest bank, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, and have served as the vice president of the Economic Society of Australia and on the board audit committee of Lifeline Australia, bringing you almost full circle back to South Africa and heading up the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. So walk us through some of the milestones on your journey so far. Well, I think um, often milestones are are less about task delivery and more about the contribution that you've made to to, uh, people and how you've changed people's lives. And if I think back through um, the past sort of couple of decades, um, I've been very privileged to work across a number of different industries through banking, the exchange world, in payments. And I've worked across a number of different countries. When I was at the um, uh, at, at Standard Bank, I had a global role responsible for the UK, Hong Kong, Russia, and uh, Brazil and Argentina. And I think Although I learned a tremendous amount technologically and intellectually, I think the most important milestones for me are those milestones that have built others up. If I, if I cast my mind back, I mentored a um, young lady who was previously disadvantaged, who was looking after her um, brother and putting him through matric while she was working um, uh, as a call center agent, not in a general call center, which is a grueling job, but in a collections call center. And she was working night shift. And um, a few years after having mentored her, she ended up in a uh, marketing role in one of the car in a card division, which I had previously managed. And for me, that was a tremendous milestone because it reflected and it represented um, the path that women can take when they are um, supported and uplifted by fellow women. I think probably one of the biggest milestones that I'd say um, I'm, uh, you know, that excites me most is the most recent, in fact, is leading through the pandemic. When I moved back from Australia in October last year, um, nowhere in my mind had I contemplated that I would be leading an exchange through such a hyper-volatile period. And I'd say that um, the many crises that we had to manage 
together with the leading work that that I and I and my executive did um, through the pandemic in leading through encouraging other listed entities to and trading com- uh, trading entities to contribute towards the solidarity fund in um, joining forces with other companies to ensure that SMEs are paid within 30 days in um, reducing our, our fees for those companies who are in a position of, of financial crisis. Those are the sorts of milestones that I think will be meaningful and will make a difference in the future. Um, Particularly exciting are a number of the projects that we are building to encourage inclusive growth. So um, I think that from a work perspective, um, I, I have been very privileged in that I've been able to absorb and to learn through um, through many of my peers and even more importantly, the people who have reported into me. And I consider myself in a position of privilege and privilege obligates. And and so the milestones in for a person who, who is in a position of privilege, which is somebody who is earning a salary on an on a consistent basis and someone who's in a leadership position, um, is is that it really is is reflective of, of the contributions that you may have made on an interpersonal one on one basis. And those are the things that that make me most proud. Thank you for sharing some of those landmarks. And to be frank, you know, the world that we find ourselves in today with the, the, the climate of the pandemic and the practical interventions that you've got in place from participating in the Solidarity Fund, ensuring SMMEs get paid within 30 days, reducing fees where possible, that those are all going to have, let's say, almost a, a lasting brand equity effect on organizations of, of the future. Thinking about the JSE itself, and you've listed some of the areas that you're um, involved with in terms of transitioning, what would you say are some of your future plans for the organization to to lead ahead and, and forge its way through our new world and new society? Well, I think um, I think the most important underlying objective is uh, to grow uh, the the organisation and the capital markets within South Africa in a sustainable and an inclusive way. Um, on the sustainability front, the important priorities that we are looking at is to a provide products to the market like sustainable bonds, like impact bonds and like green bonds that enable um, finance to be raised for social or green causes and be to to use our convening power and our influence in the industry to try and encourage more investment and more understanding in the sustainable development world. I sit on the United Nations Global Investors for Sustainable Development, and it's a great privilege that um, someone from South Africa in an emerging market is able to chair a uh, an institution such as that. 
we advocate for um, sustainable investment and we engage with the top 30 CEOs who are on that committee. Um, and those are the top 30 CEOs across the world and, and it's by invitation only. So it's a very exclusive group of people and it's it's wonderful to put Africa on the map and front and, and foremost um, in the, in the uh, perspective um, of those sorts of leaders. In addition to that, we are looking to um, develop a new market, which will be a private market for capital raises for SMEs, and that will be both in South Africa and into Africa. So this will be a platform and potentially supported by an incubator and by a series of um, supportive networks to try and encourage the growth of SME, uh, the SME sector um, in our country. We are also looking to expand into the infrastructure space and um, the infrastructure um, space will be um, uh, both again into Africa and, um, and South Africa and it will offer private companies the ability to raise funds. Now this is a very important growth node and source for job creation and especially post the pandemic um, infrastructure investment is going to be an important aspect of building the economy back better than it was prior to the, the COVID crisis. In addition to that, we are looking to crowd in and um, encourage participation in the um, stock market by the retail sector. And um, we are um, uh, starting to um, really increase our financial literacy processes to create technology um, that makes access to the exchange much cheaper and also to start reducing pricing um, so that it becomes more affordable for the man in the street to trade on the exchange. Those are all... Fantastic initiatives and thinking a little bit within the United Nations Sustainable Development Node, developing infrastructure is critical, as you say. And I think that one of the advantages in countries which have minimal infrastructure is that we're now able to sort of create the infrastructure of, of the future so it doesn't get clogged up in legacy, which is always a challenge that existing businesses have to contend with. Hi, this is Lyra, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to the CEO of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, Dr. Leila Faree, and we would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment of the show, Dr. Faree shared some of her career milestones in relation to contributing to people's development and changing lives, noting the paths women can take when they are supported and uplifted by other women. She also mentioned some of her career highlights working across multiple geographic jurisdictions like the United Kingdom, Hong Kong, Russia, Brazil, and Argentina. 
to her current role of leading the Johannesburg Stock Exchange through the COVID-19 pandemic, encouraging other trading entities to contribute to the Solidarity Fund, paying small-medium enterprises on time, reducing fees for companies, amongst other interventions. And now continuing with our discussion... One of the things that I wanted to ask you, and this speaks to the fact of you being obviously a board member on JSE and sitting on the boards of other companies and organizations, we've been running a series regarding women on corporate boards. And in a fairly recent report conducted by the University of Stellenbosch's business school, it indicated that in 2008, 14.3% of JSE company directors were women. In 2017, this had increased slightly to 20.7%. And furthermore, 80% of the women sitting on corporate boards are non-executive directors, which speaks to the absence of women holding senior positions in companies. What are some of your views about how we can improve the number of women in decision-making roles and build up an internal talent pipeline? Well, um, I think this is a, a genuine and very important problem that you raise. And um, women face a number of barriers, unlike their male counterparts, in um, growing and developing their careers. Um, generally speaking, women have much higher levels of family responsibility. There, are, there is a lack of female role models. And women often have fewer and much weaker business networks. And um, culturally, they are there is a there is a culturally induced lower status and a lack of assertiveness in women. I think that there are structural and um, general uh, changes that can be introduced to start improving the number of women in decision-making processes. And the first relates to this unconscious bias that we all inherently have. We tend to favor people who um, act, look, think, and decide like us. And so men tend to hire in their likeness. And because there are fewer people, fewer women in senior leadership positions, um, that problem is exacerbated. So I think the first step is that we need more women in decision-making roles because it has a compounding effect. Women will hire in their likeness. We need more women role models. And in some instances, that might be a decision that is taken on a legislative or regulatory base, or it may be um, that important decision makers and role models uh, decide to employ more women and thereby send a very powerful symbolic message. We've just seen recently Biden has announced the appointment of a number of prominent females, including Janet Yellen, into economic roles. His entire communication division is female. Many years ago, when Thabo Mbeki was appointed as president of South Africa, he appointed a majority female cabinet um, around him. And that sent a very powerful message to business. And so I think that firstly there, there is a moral and social responsibility in uh, people who 
have positions of power to start to surround themselves with women and um, to start to demonstrate that um, women can be and should be as successful um, as, as men in these sorts of positions. I think that's the first thing. The second side of this of this problem is women themselves, and um, often we as women tend to underestimate our abilities. We um, we don't back ourselves. We have a lack of confidence, and I I. I've experienced this firsthand uh, where I've held back on putting myself myself forward for a position. And um, as a result, my male counterparts who are in many instances less qualified for the role tend to uh, make a success of, of their promotion attempt um, purely because uh, they back themselves and, and they're willing to put themselves forward. And so women need to be more um, uh, more more bold and more confident and more willing to put themselves forward um, into positions of power. In addition to that, um, it's important to make sure that there are um, that there are a number of measurement techniques, and that um, that that these roles are measured um, appropriately, and that research is done consistently. Um, I myself, in preparing for um, for discussions or for um, general um, advocacy um, in the gender and female uh, position, find that the research that is done is patchy. It's not consistent. It's outdated, and without proof points and, and without real points of measurement, it's very difficult to highlight the problem and to advocate for change. So um, I think these are, are some, but not all of the of the aspects that are important to start to change the, the situation and the problem of inequity in the workplace. I think also to an extent that companies take responsibility for their own actions because they know who they hire, they know they know how much they're paying because that is Indeed. also another element on unequal pay where we could be doing the same work and output as male counterparts but earning less. Yes, yes, absolutely. And um, the JSC, um, in, in compliance with King 4, does require that companies um, disclose the level of female leadership at the board level. Um, it also encourages uh, disclosure on other elements. I do think that it's important uh, that disclosure is an important aspect because it drives behavior and, and measurement that is publicly um, disclosed uh, does tend to, to encourage um, movement um, in this space. Um, I, I think it's important at a listed and an unlisted level that more is done to disclose and to express the level of involvement. And I think more than just simply representation at senior levels, I, I believe that it's important to make sure that gender pay parity is adequately disclosed. So uh, individuals um, who are earning less than their male counterparts um, should be, the, these these anomalies should be made public and should be addressed. Um, and often they go unnoticed because, because they're simply not reported on. And as you said, if women are lacking confidence, they're unlikely to raise their hand and say, this is a problem for me. Absolutely, absolutely. 
We've spoken about really important factors within the work environment. And I'd like to turn now towards more of a of a personal point because the issue is that our lives are not wholly governed by work, that we, we have a we have a home life at times too. But one of the difficult components in gender quality principles is the notion of work-life balance coupled with career development. As a successful woman who's worked incredibly hard to build her career, what's your view of work-life balance? Yes, so um, I think that work-life life balance, and particularly um, in um, on, on the African continent, is a very difficult problem to solve because, by and large, the primary caregiver duty tends to fall on the shoulders of women, and this is um, this is a, a problem that is 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 much more. Um, prominent in the South African environment than it is in other countries. When I was in Australia, there was a much more equal um, balance between male and female duties. I think that um, companies have a responsibility to ensure that policies are in place to enable a more equal balance. For example, at the JSC this uh, over the past year, we introduced a, what was perceived as a groundbreaking policy in our country where um, men are afforded a paternity leave that is equal to women. And many people thought that that was a, a policy that was introduced for men, but in fact it was introduced for women because the wives and partners of those men who were able to now take leave um, were given a bit more freedom and the role for parental care was more shared um, because men were now able to spend time at home with their families. And so policies of of, uh, small policies that, um, that make a difference can generally make a make a bigger and compounding effect um, uh, have a bigger and compounding effect on the broader economy and the inclusion of women in addition to that um, support structures are an important part and um, confidence by women in the workplace to manage their workload more assertively is really important I remember Uh, growing up in the workplace when I had very young children I had two boys Um, they were under six at the time and I remember uh, turning off the lights at at work and all my male counterparts had, had long since left the office many of whom either had no children or their children were much older and I think oftentimes women are just simply not assertive enough to manage those boundaries more effectively and so it's it's a fine balance again between the organization's consciousness and their willingness to manage protocols and to manage the unspoken rules in the culture um, together with women's uh, willingness to to be a little bit more assertive and to stand up for for their needs um, at the JSC we recently introduced um, a no meetings Wednesday policy and we've also introduced a um, a policy of during particularly during the COVID crisis managing um, the timing of meetings so requesting that um, managers and that those who are setting up meetings have respect for single moms and women who are, are schooling their children from home try to avoid lunch times 
very early mornings and late afternoons. And it's it's um, it's uh, policies and and approaches or um, general sort of cultural values such as these that create for a more inclusive workplace and they make place for women um, in the workplace. I think the biggest problem is that in those industries that are growing and developing such as technology, the pace of change is so rapid and that when women take off three or four years or even two years to childmind uh, their their children and to care for their families, when they get back into the workplace, um, they, they're left behind. And um, unfortunately, um, that that largely affects the female population. And this, I think, is, is a very material contributor to the fact that um, so many um, so, so many of the forward uh, growth node industries like technology are quite male dominated and particularly in the entrepreneurial space. And what we also learn in the entrepreneurial space is that women try and, and, and make a go of it because they see the flexibility and then being able to try to juggle the balance between what their work commitments will be and their home commitments. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to the CEO of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, Dr. Leila Furi, and we would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the last segment, Dr. Furi spoke about some of the future plans for the Johannesburg Stock Exchange in relation to growing the organization in a sustainable and inclusive way. We considered that both structural and general changes are required to improve the number of women in decision-making roles in organizations and emphasized that women must be more bold, more confident, and more willing to put themselves forward into positions of power. And equally so, company policy plays an important role where gender equality measures should be shared publicly to disclose not only the representation of women in organizations, but also address pay parity. Now, picking up on our discussion. Given your experiences to date and you've shed light on some of the policy aspects and really you've, you've advocated and driven that change intentionally in the JSC, what do you think we need to change to ensure that women have a better future? Well, I think there are there are, are so, soft uh, changes that we we need to to introduce, and there are hard changes. Um, so we need to be clear about the different ways that company leadership can be, for example, shaped by policy. Um, public policy has a large role to play in the kinds of rights and obligations that we give to companies and one of which is is to ensure that they are representative so for example board representation particularly in larger larger companies um, is a very important driver of transformation um, in any country and this will ensure that both 
women of color or minority groups and women generally can start to influence companies on their transformation journeys. Um, I, I think that uh, diversity is, is a very important enabler of companies. Diverse companies um, are able to grow more, they're more innovative, they're more in touch with the marketplaces that they serve. And in South Africa, for example, we are a very diverse company. So good companies are those companies who are diverse and who create policies and both explicit policies and implicit cultural norms that encourage broader representation, that encourage a different mindset, that encourage a gender balance uh, around the table. And um, I think equally so, it's also, there's also an individual obligation on women leaders to ensure that they're leading from the front and that they are role models and that they're creating career opportunities for women around them. The visibility of female leaders, I think, cannot be underestimated because it does provide a, a role modeling effect of what is possible. One of the areas that women have been quite intentional is advancing their academic qualifications. And looking towards yourself, you have a PhD in economic and financial services. You won the Economic Society's South Africa Founders Award in 2012 for best master's economic thesis in the country. What role would you say education has played in your life? I think education plays a remarkably important role. It's not the only thing, but it plays a very important role. And um, I think that often um, women are marginalized and um, the access of women to education and then after education to opportunities is is reduced. Um, I only read for my... Um, my master's uh, thesis when my children were teenagers. And the reason for that is that um, I was sort of primarily caring for them and working at the same time. Um, so I do think that um, in, in many countries, you, you have many women who have access to education in the early, um, early part of, of their life, but Often that doesn't translate into job opportunities, um, particularly after they've had children. So I do think that a, a more conscious approach to ensuring that um, there is an equal representation in the education system, particularly um, in the STEM subjects, there tends to be a male bias um, in all of the all of the STEM subjects um, of of uh, sort of secondary and tertiary education, and. Um, I think that oftentimes there are wonderful opportunities for women to study if they choose, as I did, um, to take time off during uh, when they when they have small children. I studied literally from sort of 10 p.m. till three in the morning when my children were were young, um, and I found that to be a very stimulating and um, wonderful opportunity. Now it does sound a bit unreasonable to to be studying. Studying in, in these, uh, you know, at, at that sort of hour of the day, but um, 
uh, it was it created a, a mental balance. So I do think I think that there are policy components. I think there are cultural components because many of us are brought up in homes where male um, uh, education post your formal schooling is uh, is uh, is prioritised. Um, so I do think that there are cultural changes that need to be introduced, and I think that there are contextual changes. So right now in the situation of the pandemic, what concerns me most is that marginalized people in the economy, and this starts with primary school and all the way up to to uh, tertiary education um, are, are those people who are are most affected by, for example, a pandemic, because um, a gap of a year in studying has a um, a lasting effect um, on the ability of, of those girls to to get back into the formal education system. So I do think that corporates and policymakers, public and private sector. Um, need to do more to consciously target uh, the access of um, young girls to general education and particularly to STEM subjects. Maths and science are, are crucial um, for, for the future of the economy, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, biotechnology, etc. are grow growth nodes for, for, for the world and uh, women equally as, as do as as should men need to to have unencumbered access to to that sort of education. Um, Germany is a great example where um, they provide not only free education to their citizens, but to all applicants. Um, and and I do think access to to education is a human right. It shouldn't be limited to those um, those who who are able to afford it, um, because that creates a, a, a comp compounding inequality effect um, that lasts for generations. And just think, looking at the South African market as an example, where our country would be if education had been made free twenty years ago. People wouldn't be trying to look for jobs. It would be about job creation because they would have the skills. If we speak about the growth nodes in the technology space. It's not about brawn, it's about brains. Um, so I'm completely advocate for, for education. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and and the more we the more we disclose and measure and research and and shine the spotlight on this growing problem, the sooner we're going to put in place mechanisms to address that. Dr. Faree, we are coming towards the end of the show. So in closing the conversation, could you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to share with young women on the continent who are listening to us? Well, I think, um, firstly, um, if I were to, things that I would tell my former self and um, lessons that I wish I'd internalized when I was growing up is that women are as competent and as capable as men are. And I wish that I had the self-confidence then that I have now. Your self-confidence should not be built on achieving outcomes in the short term, but rather on an internal locus of control or on your internal um, willingness to back yourself, to have a go, to put yourself out there, 
and to to know that you have the capability to achieve things that many others might doubt don't doubt yourself back yourself and believe yourself and and those it's as simple as that uh, in my mind um and too many women um don't um are, don't back themselves and and are um hesitant in putting themselves forward whether it's an educational opportunity or a job opportunity um and um their male counterparts um uh, are at a distinct advantage because they're so confident so that that would be my simple message believe in yourself and back yourself because you have the what what it takes to achieve thanks for that great message of upliftment and inspiration that really speaks to the passion and and looking at the essence the learnings that you've adopted over the years because time waits for no one so those opportunities are there to be grabbed embraced and to own thank you so much for joining us absolutely That's such a pleasure. Thank you, uh, Amelia, and thank you to the listeners. Um, It's been absolutely lovely to chat to you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. And we have been talking to the CEO of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, Dr. Leila Furu.